What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. And uh, this is going to be a, a weird episode because we're usually, when we talk about the impressions of games that we like, we're, we're fairly... I, I think we're fairly nice, and we we try to find the silver lining all the time. <laughs> this is going to be a very different week, um, because there's going to be a lot of games that we did not care for that we played recently that we're going to go over. A lot of misses. Um, so, but we're going to bookend that with incredible positivity, because in the back half of the show, we're going to be talking about our most anticipated games that are coming out in 2017. We both brought our own lists, uh, unbeknownst to one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, we're gonna, I guess, sell each other on. Something tells me there might picks. be a few overlaps. Well, that yeah. wouldn't surprise me at all. So, uh, before we get into it, though, just a reminder: if you f- use Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, you can find us at Tabletop for Two. Search us out and add us. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or any other podcatcher that you choose. We're on BGG. We have a guild. It's number two six two three. We're on Periscope at Tabletop for Two. And also, uh, we would love to hear some show topics from you guys because we are starting to stretch the ones that we prepared a little bit, a little thin. So we want to hear what our listeners would like us to talk about. So if you have a show topic suggestion, <laughs> throw it on Facebook, throw it on Twitter, let us know. Is this like your dense pixels? What do you people want to yeah. hear? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I mean, I, I like listening to what the listeners want us to talk about. So that's usually a, a pretty good uh I love, you know, engaging with you guys, and that's, you know, we're doing this show for you, not for us, so, you know, definitely let well, us know if there's anything. we're doing a little bit for us so we can talk about our favorite yeah. pastime, so. But yeah, let us know if there's any specific things you guys would like us to talk about, and we'll definitely consider that as well. Okay, so let's start with some positive stuff. Um, so, Alexander Fister is a designer who is, like, all the rage right now, and for whatever reason, we have not been able to find... A game of his that we liked. We were over three because we played Isle of Sky, didn't like it. We played Mombasa, we were kind of eh on it, ended up getting rid of it. Um, we also played Oh My Goods, which I believe was also, if I'm not mistaken, and we're, again, we're kind of eh on it and ended up getting rid of that as well. So I wasn't running out to get Great Western Trail <laughs> right away. Because I'm just like, it just, maybe his designs just don't jive with us. But enough people online that I follow that whose opinions I respect have been raving about this game. So I said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And if this doesn't hit, then I guess Alex Fisher is just the designer that we just don't jive with. And fortunately, this was a great success. (laughs) So Great Western Trail, um, it's an interesting Euro game, pretty heavy Euro game where you are essentially acquiring cattle and transporting it over to St. Louis um, and then shipping it along or not, not St. Louis, Kansas city and then shipping it along rails in order to score points. Mm -hmm. And the way you do is there's a trail that you follow um, that has, which has branching paths. And on your turn, you're going to move your, your, your rustler a number of spaces and whichever space you stop on is going to be a building that you can interact with to do certain actions. And the actions are, you know, quite, you know, there's a lot of variety in those, but most of them center around acquiring money in some way, acquiring more cattle in some way, hiring workers to work for you. You have different workers in the game. Um, Cowboys will help you get cattle at the auction market, and you have engineers that help your railway move along. Isn't there one to help you put things out on the board? Yeah, there's the the builders as well, so that you can actually build your own buildings. Well, no, 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 not that. The, um, oh, the hazards. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, as you cross this trail, you might encounter hazards as well, um, which will cost you money as you go across them. But there's ways you can get rid of those and they're worth victory points if you do. Um, you can also trade with Native Americans, which will, you know, possibly get you victory you points at the end of the game. Yeah. And, um, it's, and so you're going along and basically once you make it to the end of the path, which is Kansas City, uh, you'll ship a, all the cattle that you have out of your hand. And the more variety of cattle you have, the more, the more, value you'll get out of that shipment and there's many different destination cities that you can ship to um usually there's some kind of a bonus when you do that as well be it uh victory points or or money or both and then your guy starts at the beginning of the trail and you go again and this is and it's important because as the game goes along more and more buildings are going to get laid out on the trail which is going to change the different options and different strategies available to more you. More and more hazards, too. More and more hazards as well. Um, likewise, your opponent's buildings can potentially be hazardous. You might have to pay, like, a fee as you cross over those as well. They get a little expensive, too. They do get some very expensive. Um, they do a really interesting thing with... Uh, there's endgame bonus cards that you can acquire as well, and this is kind of cool because you can basically commit to the bonus, to, to playing the bonus card, 
which gets it out of your deck, which is important because it's kind of like a dead card that floats through there. Mm-hmm. But if you commit to the bonus, then there's a chance that you might lose points if you don't fulfill it at the end of the game. And it's each each resource that you have at the end of the game can only be used to fulfill one of the bonus cards, which is kind of cool, a cool thing as well. It, it's It's a hard game to describe. It's got a lot of very heavy working parts, but it comes together really smartly i think Mm -hmm. and for two players you can knock it out in anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes i think it was closer to 90 for our first play but i feel like that now that we know what's going on now we know what we're doing a little bit it'll be a little quicker yeah i was i thought this game was really fascinating and really interesting and how all the mechanics jive together yeah i like um (laughs) i will say the one thing that kind of made me a little angry was i felt like i couldn't get cattle like when i went Mm -hmm. to get you know, like it, the cards just, and it wasn't for you know lack of trying. It was the the cards just weren't coming out. Maybe we need to shuffle a little better le- next time because it seemed like there was too many of one kind of cattle out there. Well, and it's also one of those style of games where you want to do everything, but, but really, you yeah, really, you kind of have to specialize in one or maybe two areas between cattle building stuff and developing the rail line i think i kind of did that because i kind of started going for like the bonus cards Mm -hmm. i like about halfway through i was like you know what i've got enough stuff where i can start laying out some of these bonus cards and try and get my points there because i just was not doing it with the cattle yeah i know like neither of us really were successful getting a lot of buildings out on the board i think we only got like three or four maybe each yeah um and the railway too like the railway can be if you really focus on that can be developed super long um it kind of reminded me of russian railroads in in a lot of ways the way that just not not because of the rail connection, but just in the way the game kind of worked, where you you know you can center your focus in one or you know a couple of different areas to do it that way. But I thought the game was excellent. Well, it's like with the bonus cards, I felt it was kind of like trains when you get the victory point cards towards mm-hmm. the end. It's like they're just kind of there. Well, and I really like the, I really like the risk reward mechanic of those two. I think that was my favorite part of the game. Um, you know, weighing having a dead card in your deck versus committing to this bonus. <laughs> But now you better do it, otherwise it's going to cost you points. <laughs> right. You know when when the game comes well, around. Well, not to an like end. some of the other things that we had to do didn't cost us points either. Because mm. like um, in on the rail track, the first couple cities that you go to, you're going to lose points at the end of the game for delivering your cattle there. Yeah, yeah. They 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 kind of penalize you for taking the easy way out. Yeah. And then and the the other thing I really liked is sometimes that, it's not even your fault. It's just that's right. how the how the cards fall. Well, and then there's and each city that you deliver to, each player can only deliver to, to each city. One one time with the exception of San Francisco which is the furthest city away and worth the most points and Kansas City which is the closest city but you lose points. but you lose points but you get money so it's one it's again another risk reward situation where right. if you really need to get to be flush with cash for your next trip through the trail mm-hmm. you can put a put a you know one of your markers there deliver it and get a ton of money but then at the end of the game you're going to be losing points so you can't abuse that too much you have to really you know pick and choose the time where that's going to be Beneficial, so yeah, I, I thought Great Western Trail was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm happy that I finally get what everyone else, you know, what everyone else is throwing out there mm-hmm. um, with Alexander Fister, and it's a great game. And if you like really heavy Euro games, I would highly recommend uh, checking it out. Uh, next on the list, one we've had for quite a while, we just haven't gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Cuba Libre. Yeah, this is from GMT. This is the first game that we'd ever played um, in the Coin series, and for those that don't know what that is, it's it's their Counterinsurgent series, which is a series of games that what they have in common is there are different factions in the game. Uh, usually, so far, most of the Coin games I think have had four different factions in them. And what's interesting is that each there's these event cards that flip over every turn, and the event cards have a like order of priority because only two factions are going to get to act on every turn. And whichever the first faction is that acts, what what they do on their turn determines what's available for the, for other the second player. faction to act. That was one of the things I actually liked about this game, because there wasn't much that I did. Yeah, this one, <laughs> I, I was really hoping that uh, that M would like it. I'd, I'd heard the Cuba Libre was the best of the coin series to start with. Um, the We played the game. We didn't use the bots, because there's four factions in Cuba Libre. Um, basically, you can use... You have the option to either use have each of you control one faction and then there's a you know, there's an automated process that the game uses for the other two factions, or you can each control two. Um they recommend in the rule book that you each control two to start the game. That's what we did. And we couldn't even get the game finished because it was just kind of plodding along. 
Um, Em wasn't really enjoying herself. I enjoyed myself a little bit more than she did. I think. Um, I I was. I, I wasn't found the game enjoying system, myself at all. Yeah, you weren't having a good time because you're trying to basically each each faction has a specific victory condition that is trying to achieve, and you're trying to spread out your influence across the board right, in a way. I felt like it was unattainable. It's not unattainable, like, and I'm sure it is, mm-hmm. but. I'm. I just. It was. It was taking way too long for me. Well, to me, it seems like the the crux of the design is you kind of have to, and I guess this would shine better with four players, but you kind of have to cooperate with like your partner faction essentially, and use I them tried. to help you build up your 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 place as much I was as you trying. can. It's tough to do, and and especially because when you're controlling multiple factions, each you need well, to achieve the victory condition for both of them. The other thing. Is that some of the actions, like the way they were worded, was mm-hmm. a little funny. So, like, I didn't quite fully understand, and I thought I was doing it this way. And it's like, oh no, no, this isn't. That's not how it's supposed to be done. I'm like, you know, it made my head spin a yeah, little each, bit. Each faction has specific operations that they're able there's to like do. Basically, an action, and then there's also what's the special other? activity that yeah, you can do. Yes, yeah. so there's an action, and then it all one those actions. It says up in the corner plus this, and that's the activity that goes along with it. And I mean, so. well, and, and the thing that I found most challenging about it is it was a hard game to teach. Like, like I said, we'd had this game for a while and I, I swear I've read the rule book like three times. And normally I'm really good at kind of, you know, grokking what the game's about just from reading the rules. And Kubli Ray, I just had a, such a tough time being able to relay that information to her um, and and to try or to you rather and to and to try to explain how the game works. So I felt like the first hour that we played and we probably played for two hours before we're like, you know what, we're going to we're going to call it quits. Um, but I felt like I had a really difficult time kind of explaining to you how how the game was supposed to work. Well, I felt completely confused the whole yeah. time. So <laughs> it's perfectly understandable why you felt like you like you felt like that. And I was, and I had pre-ordered, um, I had P500 at Imperial, or sorry, Colonial Twilight, which was the first two-player coin series game they're coming out with. And based on your reaction, I actually canceled that pre-order because I just don't think that you're, that this that this series jives with you. I guess I don't know if even even getting a game that's specifically designed for two, I don't know if that's going to going to change how you feel about it. Uh, you know, it might just be too much for me. You it's possible. I mean? Yeah, this yeah, this one's definitely a step up from like Twilight Struggle, which is kind of in our wheelhouse with right. GMT. And like I said, I think you are more into the war game kind of thing than I am. Mm-hmm. Like I I can do it to a certain point, but I get to a point where I'm just like, no. Just, yeah. I just don't like it. Well, and and I could I understand what you're saying there cuz the systems for those games tend to be a little bit more obtuse than Well, and like know. I said, I think I think I mentioned this that night. Your background in video games and stuff like that. You've played games that kind of function like this. Mm-hmm. So where I haven't, because that's just not my thing. Right. You know, and I think that might have helped you a little bit more where I'm just like completely in the dark. Fair enough. So, yeah. <laughs> so Cumulary did not work out. Um, like I said, I'm sure if it's a great game, it's a great game if you really like that kind of game. But for me personally, it. Just didn't work. Yep. So, so but hard. not everything's going to work for me. No. So hard, hard passing that for us. And I think I will, uh, I will shift my ambitions away from the coin series <laughs> uh, for the foreseeable future. No Cubely Ray. <laughs> no Cubely Ray. No. And like I said, no Colonial Twilight because I just don't know if that's even just do it. The two player version is going to do it for you. Right. Um. We put we played a bunch of stuff today. Like a few of the games we're going to talk about next is stuff we knocked out today because we had the opportunity uh, to do it. Uh, because our son did not want to hang out with us today, and he wanted to watch movies all day. Yeah, so, pretty much. So we said, okay, if you're going to watch movies, we'll play, we'll play games. games. So It's not like we were too far away. but yep. <laughs> um, So we got a, a city-building, or a, a tableau-building game called Colony. Uh, this is a new game from Bezier Games. Ted Allspock designed it. And uh, this is a, it's a dice-rolling game um, where you have dice that represent different resources, and you have different buildings that you can purchase with these dice that all have special actions as well. Um, there's a ton of different buildings in the box. You're only using um, seven 
unique buildings and then there's like a rent uh, supply buildings that you get used in every game that are kind of like basic buildings and essentially on your turn um you're drafting some dice so you know whoever's turn is rolls th- uh three dice they get drafted by the different players and then the active player uses the dice as resources to do other stuff with them you can purchase new buildings from the middle like i said um you can upgrade buildings that are in your possession which usually give them better abilities and make them worth more victory points mm-hmm. as well um, you can store unused resources from round to round. There's also unstable resources, which have to be used that current round, or you or you lose their effects, so you have to kind of manage those really well. And it's, and it's a race um, game, because you're trying to race to be the first to get to a certain victory point threshold mm-hmm. in order to win. Now, I... You like this game. I like it. What, what did you like about it? Um, I... Well, you know me. I like when I have to, you know, build build something that works and mm. then like said the upgrade first thing i did was upgrade the upgrade card and, <laughs> and then went from there to try and farm my points that way because i said well maybe we'll try this mm-hmm. but you know i love anything with dice chucking yeah and th- the game was fine um i think the biggest issues that i had with this it, it just kind of it wore on too long mm-hmm. for what it was and the the whole game just felt kind of mundane to me. Like, I felt like you were just kind of going through the motions every turn. Well, that, and I felt like when you hit the threshold, it was very anticlimactic. That, too, yeah. <laughs> it's Because it, it really is, like, as soon as someone gets to that threshold on their turn, they win. That's like, it. Like, it's there's not no, even equal turns. It's just like, oh, yeah, no hey, way, I win. Yeah, no way for the opponent to possibly have, like, one last turn to, you know, to do something, that sort of thing. Right. I think the biggest issue that I had, though, is that it... it and ironically, we had played Race for the or Roll for the Galaxy rather the night before we played this. We played Roll for the Galaxy last night. We played Colony today. Mm-hmm. They're sort of similar in how the game works, but I think that Roll for the Galaxy is so much more of like a clever game and, and just a better design game. Like if you gave me the choice between these two, and I liken them to one another, well, it's I, more meaty, right? I would choose Roll for the Galaxy every time, but they took about the same amount of time. Like they both took about forty five minutes. To play, give or take, and I just feel like that the decisions in Roll and and the choices that are offered to you in Roll for the Galaxy are much greater than in Colony. Now, I'm willing to give Colony another chance because, like I said, there's a ton of buildings in the box, and I'm sure picking different buildings changes the strategies quite a bit and mm-hmm. might offer more synergies. Again, we were just going with the intro game mm-hmm. um, using the the buildings they told you to use in the game, um, but yeah, just that first play did not really did not really do anything for me. Um, and I felt bad because it's, it's rare that it's, it's much more rare that you like a game a lot that I don't particularly care for. Um, but that's just kind of how I, how I felt with this one. Like I said, and like I said, I liked it, Mm -hmm. but it got to, like, like you said, it did feel like you were going through the motions. I said, I enjoyed the kind of like the time crunch aspect where I'm trying to get, you know, Mm -hmm. to the 20 points, but. Well, and then another, and another issue I have with the two is that I feel like that role for the galaxy gives you a little bit more control over what you're doing. Whereas like, so like one of the, one of the buildings that I got in colony was this thing called a prize safe. And when you get the prize safe, you roll three dice and you keep the lowest value. And that's how many victory points the prize safe is worth. And then when you upgrade it, you roll three dice again. And this time you keep the highest value. Well, of course, when I upgraded my prize safe, I rolled a six and which is the best that you can do. And it just seems that's a very, cheap cost for a six point building, especially in a game where you're trying to get to 20 points. Um, you know, and, and if I, you know, if I was lucky enough to roll that six, had I been unlucky and rolled like two ones and a two, you know, when I upgraded it, then that would have been, you know, set me back and probably would have let you win. Like that, that building literally probably was the difference mm-hmm. in the game. And I, I get it. It's dice. There's going to be luck. You can't control that. Well, yeah, because you had a three on there before, right. and then you won by three points. So that was the difference in right. the game. But I feel like in Roll for the Galaxy, even though you are rolling dice, the the things that the tools the game gives you to alter those die rolls and change them to to match what you want to do. I think give you a little bit more of a sense of control, even though in that game, of course, there is a ton of randomness because, of course, you're drawing random buildings and developments and planets and stuff like that. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's it's. It, I I don't know if it's fair to compare Colony to Roll for the Galaxy, but I I can't help but do it. And like I said, given the choice between playing Colony or Roll, I'm choosing Roll. You know, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I came with it. Um, I know you liked it, but yeah, for me, it was kind of. Kind of boring. We're not gonna like yeah, every game. Uh, speaking of one that, so so the next one, <laughs> we just played this before we, we recorded, right? So, 
we got Lagranha No Siesta, which is the Lagranha the dice game, essentially. Um, and this was a game that the first half of the game I thought was really, really cool. So this is another game where you have dice at the beginning of the round. Um, one player is going to roll the dice. The, di- the dice have different resources on them, and you're going to draft those resources. So there's you know basically six different types of commodities that you can that you can take. Um, and then you're going to assign those. Each player has a score sheet, and each score sheet has different areas on it that give you different bonuses. Like there's roof tiles that you can buy with money, and when you acquire roof tile, gets you a bonus, and it's worth points in the end game. Or you can store get the, worker tiles, with... yeah, you know, which gives you special abilities that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get three of a good, you can ship it, and that's worth points at the end of the game as well. Um, it's so it's really clever design. A lot of different ways to do stuff. Um, and and I was again really enjoying myself for the first like half hour we were playing. One of the commodities in the game though are these hats. And the hats move you along this track called the siesta track. And this is the siesta track is essentially what determines when you get to the end of the game because one player has to reach the end of that track in order for the game to be over. The problem is is that if you are unfortunate enough not to roll a hats. lot of hats then the game's going to take a really long time. And when we were playing, we were rolling hats so infrequently that both M and I were able to fill our entire sheet of check marks of, of you know of tallies before the game ended. And literally the difference in the game was just He made it to the end of the siesta track. And and also I, you know, was able to get up the CS track faster, so I was able to claim these bonus spaces that get you extra extra points at the yeah, end of the game. Yeah, you got the good bonus spaces, right. I got the crap one. So Lagrange No Siesta is a really clever game, and I'm willing to play it because again, there's advanced tiles that you have that are different helpers that you can acquire that give you different abilities, which seems cool. Maybe they'll give you extra hats. That'd be great because <laughs> It's going to be no fun if that game, when we play it with two players, is consistently no hats. Cool. I'll just check every box on my score sheet, and we'll see. And we'll see where it ends up when the game ends. Because that and that like that's such a obvious flaw that I can't I can't believe that they didn't figure out a way. Like it, it was it was such an obvious flaw that and M will tell you that while we were playing. I was like looking through the rule book because I'm like, surely we have to be doing something incorrectly. Yeah. If, <laughs> if if this is allowed to happen, because we again we literally had both of our sheets filled, and I get the sense that that's not how the game's supposed to go. Right. Ideally, did you like the game though? I did. But like I said, I told you my suggestion. I said if they could make like a die that has more than one hat on it. You know what I mean? Say, mm-hmm. like, one die has two hats instead of, you know, one of the, you know, commodities or whatever on it mm-hmm. or one of the things. Or, like you said, you have one where it has, like, if you roll this one, it's either a hat or this or a hat plus this. You know what I mean? Something to give it a little bit more because, yeah, ba- yeah ba- it's... <laughs> like, were you, like uh, my suggestion was you have one side on each die that gives you both a regular commodity and a hat so that if you happen to get that, then more hats will be prevalent in the game and will hopefully advance the game a little bit quicker. And like you said, while we were playing, like the game just took too long. This game, this game with what it is should be like a half he's an hour. Game. He's flipping through the rule book thinking we're doing something wrong. I'm like, hun, come on. I said, it's getting late as then we got to record. Right. I said, come on, we got to finish this game. So yeah. So again, no siesta was a game that I enjoyed so much when we first started and like I said, just, just this big flaw kind of, kind of killed the enjoyment. We're going to play it again because like I said, I want to use the advanced helper tiles. I want to see if that helps the game in any way, shape or form. But as it is, like if that, if, if that's how the game's going to go when you play and it's going to be this game where we pretty much get to check every box as that's we go fun. along, that's not going to be fun. And you're just kind of, again, it's, it's, you're just kind of, then, then you're just racing to make sure you get the correct, Bonus boxes, right? And that's so that what the game, <laughs> and that's what the game essentially becomes. So that's Lagrange No Siesta. Um, we'll have to wait and see. We might, we might have to revisit that one on the show, depending yeah. on how it goes. So <laughs> we'll keep you posted. Right. Uh, next on the list, we actually played this one this afternoon as well, and that was Darkest Night. It's a victory point game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a cooperative. Um, 
cooperative game where you have to kill the necromancer. Yeah, there's this necromancer, and he's uh, and he's a jerk, causing blights all over the land. He's a big fat jerk. So it's you, and you each. There's four heroes. Um, there's four heroes, no matter how many players you're playing, and we each, in, obviously in this case, we each control two. Uh, each heroes have some special abilities as well, some cool powers that are unique to them. Every turn, your heroes are going to basically do one action, and that action can be moved to a different area in the in the in the landscape, um, search for keys or other items because you need what you're trying to do is you're trying to get keys, which you can use to unlock these holy relics that are in each area, and then go fight the necromancer because the necromancer to beat him you have to roll a seven when you attack him, and the only way to do that is to roll a six while you're carrying the holy relic because the holy relic will add one to an attack die roll that you make. Um, at the end of each round, once each player is gone, the necromancer gets to take a turn. He's basically going to be dropping blights around the different landscape. Blights are either enemies that will attack you and get in your way, or they're like negative status effects that will affect anyone that's in the area mm-hmm. that they're in. And you can't let them go because if blights start stacking up on locations, then blights will start entering your monastery. And if the monastery gets overrun with blights, then the heroes lose the game. Um, if the heroes can kill the necromancer or if they can get three holy relics back to the monastery, uh, then they win the game. And that's pretty much what it is. It kind of reminded me of some of the States of Siege games, except that instead of you defending a central location, um, it's actually you going to the different tracks and, and fighting off the, you know, the, the foes on your own, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the game was fine for what it is, but we both agreed that it's very, very fiddly. Mm-hmm. Because... It also kind of felt a little basic to me. I can see that. You I can see I mean? that, yeah. Because essentially your turn is, okay, draw an event card, do the thing on the card, and then pick one action to do. And that one action might be just moved to a different location. Well, no, like I spent an entire turn having to activate a card. Right. Remember, and it was just like, okay, that sucks. That's yeah, and not yeah, the characters have different. The characters have different powers. Some of them are like battle tactics. Some of them are like, unique I actions. Had, I had the knight and the scholar, so my knight had an oath of I forget what it was. It was the oath of something, and you literally have to spend an entire turn just to activate this card. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, that's that's you not know, fun. That's BS. It's not fun. <laughs> Um, and then, like, having to pay attention to the different, the different blights can be a little harrisome when there's a lot of them in one location. Because, again, they all have different status effects. I don't have to worry about effects. that. My knight. Yeah, your she, knight was cleaning my house. My knight, she was a beast, man. She cleaned house. We did win. Um, and, and so I like the game okay. And it's a game with, like, it could take you 30 minutes to play it or it might take you over an hour to play it, depending on how things kind of unfold. And I think I would have liked the game better. Um, but, like I said, it reminded me of a lot of games in the stage of siege series and for what that game for what I'm looking for out of those games I think that you can't get any better than Dawn of the Zeds. I think Dawn of the Zeds is like the the pinnacle of that game mechanic and I just I find the decisions that you have to make in Dawn of the Zeds a lot more interesting in Darkest Night I felt like it was always fairly obvious what you should do best course of action and it's just a matter of will my die roll succeed Mm -hmm. so that i can do this thing um and that's not a bad thing per se but if but you know we look for a little bit more decision making a little bit more hand-wringing out of our co-op games Mm -hmm. and so this one just didn't just didn't fulfill that now there's lots of characters um so i'm sure there's a lot of variety in the way those can play as you go along um, and that part's interesting. So I feel like there's a lot of replay value if you like what the game gives you. But for us, I think I think M nailed it on the head. It's just not complex enough mm-hmm. for what we like to do. So yeah, that was Darkest Night. Um, that one's a pass for us. Uh, again, a fine game, but just not one that that I think is going to strike us very much. Yeah. Uh, next on the list is Concordia Salsa. We've actually had this one for a while as well, haven't we? Yeah, this is the expansion. I don't know if we've talked about Concordia on the show before. We might have mentioned in passing a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Matt Gertz game where instead of a rondelle, it's sort of like a card or hand-building game because mm-hmm. each turn you have a hand of cards with different actions on them, and you're going to play one of those cards and do the action on the card. And you're trying to 
establish different cities across. So you can get goods. And- yeah, across different territories, earn goods, trade them, um, acquire new cards. Because the thing, the thing that I think is fantastic about Concordia is the way the scoring works. It's all done at the end of the game, and it's based on the different cards that you acquire during the game, which each score specific categories like having settlers on the board or having cities established in certain areas or mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. Um Concordia Salsa adds two major mechanics to the game. It also adds a new map which I appreciated because it's uh one of the maps is a very uh tighter area mm-hmm. than than some of the other maps in the game which works great for two players. Uh it adds salt which is a wild resource which is a wild good that you can use in place of any other good which is pretty nifty. And it also adds uh these forum tiles and the forum tiles are tiles that you can acquire uh, whenever you play your Tribune card, which is the card that lets you pick up all the cards you discarded. And based on how many cards you're picking up, you can select one of four tiles that are on this board. And the tiles vary between either one-shot effects that you can use whenever you want, and then they're done, or permanent effects that give you a special power that you can use for the rest of the game. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think the thing I liked about the cards or about the forum tiles the most, because I mean, having a wild resource, the salt is pretty, you know, pretty standard fare and, and it works pretty well for what it does. Right. The thing that I liked about the forum tiles is that none of them felt overpowering no, to the point where you had to chase after them. But it was always nice to have them because they did give you a nice boost up, especially the permanent tiles if your strategy happened to be steered in that direction. Well, I think I had, I don't remember which one I had, but didn't I have one that if I got this good, I got a bonus of that good as well, or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And, you know, it it's like you said, it's not anything like major, but it really kind of helps. Just a, just a nice supplement and just and just one extra thing that you can that you can pay attention to in that game, just because the game when you're playing regular Concordia, um, not that it, it follows routine, but you can find yourself kind of doing the similar things as you go around. So the form tiles just give it a nice little bit of variety that you can throw in there that I think the game is better for. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, I mean, Concordia is, I think, an underappreciated Euro game. I don't think it gets quite enough talk as it deserves. And if you're a fan of the game, I would say the Salsa expansion is a no-brainer. You should definitely go out and check it out. Um, and it's it's very, very good. I like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Mystic Veil is a game that I've had my eye on for a little while because um, I I find it fascinating that they have this um, the thing that everyone likes about it, which is the card crafting system. So if you don't know what that is, Mystic Veil is a deck building game, um, but it's not really a deck building game because you're not acquiring new cards per se. You're acquiring new pieces for your yeah. Card. You're acquiring new fragments of cards. The card the game comes with these plastic transparent cards that are divided into thirds, and each of these transparent cards have a like an action or like a number of resources that on in one third of the card and all the cards are sleeved of course and when you acquire these new card fragments you actually slide it into the sleeve of one of your existing cards which makes a new card that has all of the abilities combined essentially mm-hmm. of the different fragments that are on there and you're doing this and you're doing this in the purpose of getting victory points there's also veil cards um there's different symbols that some of the cards have that you can spend to get these veil cards which are permanent cards that go in your tableau which are either which will either get you a special ability during the game or, or victory, victory points. points and it is a race to clean out the victory point pool and whoever has the most points when the game is said and done is going to win the game itself is very simple um, it's it's about as simple as can be. The the card crafting mechanic is why you come to play this game. Yeah, you gotta pay attention because I definitely had a little screw up on one of mine. How so? <laughs> you don't remember the double red card? Oh I mean? yeah, yeah. So the <laughs> I, I probably should mention that the way it works. So the way the way the game works is um when you're when you're drawing cards for the How round, can you forget my double red card. There are there are these there are some some of the cards have these cursed land symbols on them essentially. And when you are when it's your turn, you reveal cards from your deck, and then you basically you put a card out into your play area, and you turn over the next card in your deck. And once you have three of these cursed land symbols showing, you have to stop because at that point. You have to decide, do I want to draw more cards off my deck, or do I want to just use what I have and use the resources there? And it becomes this push-your-luck mechanic, because if you reveal a fourth Cursed Land symbol, then you basically bust, and your turn goes for naught, because, and you discard all the cards that were in your play area, and you don't really get to do anything. So you have to really 
be careful about how you're constructing your cards, as M said, yeah, because I if you wasn't even paying attention, I thought I put it on a different card, and mm-hmm. then when it popped up, I was like, "Crap! Why did I put two yeah. reds on a card?" Because it made me bust my hand twice unintentionally. Yeah. Now this was this was another one that you liked a lot. I did, and I liked okay. My biggest issue with the game is that I felt like I had seen most of what the game had to offer in one play. I get that. I get that. I can. I can. Understand your fears there, and I can understand. Do you think that we're really going to replay it a lot because it is fairly simple, mm-hmm. you know? But it's one—it's one of those know. games that it kind of reminds me of. And I told you this too. It kind of reminds me of Ascension, where when we first started playing like heavier games or world strategy games in general, we really liked Ascension because it was much more complicated than anything we had ever played before. Well, and I'm not going to lie when I say it was one of like three games we had at first. Right. But I'm saying, but we played it incessantly because we had never gotten that before. And then once we played more, especially more intricate deck building games, we don't play Ascension as much because it doesn't have as much meat as those other games do. I wouldn't mind going back to the the newest one again though yeah. soon cuz I really liked that one. Right. And I feel like the Mystic Veil is a game that if we had if we had first played this game like 3 years ago, we would have thought it was amazing, but because we play it now having all these hundreds of other games that we played under our belt, we're like this is okay, but it's not something that's going to find the table too, you know, too terribly often with us. So this would be a great game I think to introduce to folks mm-hmm. who might be looking for like that next step up. But if you're a if you like he- medium to heavier games, I don't I just don't know that Mystic Veil vale is going to have what you're looking for. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if, if it has enough depth to, to yeah. keep it around. Like I said, I don't know because you said that's pretty much it. Like there's no other cards or anything like that. It's just kind of yeah, just what's just... in the base box. I mean, there is an expansion out for the game, um, but but I don't know if I like it enough to want to go get it. Right, thing, right, so. and and like your golden rule is. Your golden rule with expansions is to not take an okay game and make it good. Right. Well, again, I, I don't even think that Mystic Veil vale is a bad game per se. I just think that it's. I said okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I didn't say bad. Yeah, I said okay. I just think it's it's best served with a crowd um, that is not us. Honestly, like uh, you know, it's. I think we're just too. We we like heavier stuff than than Mystic Veil vale can so provide. Is that going on the show? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's it might be I mean, one of those ones do, that we'll we do keep need around. Space on the current shelf. That's true. It's a good <laughs> point. So, yeah, I don't know if we'll get rid of this veil or not, but I don't. I don't see it being played too terribly often. Yeah. Um. The last game, and we're going to bookend it with one that we really liked, and this was a pleasant surprise because I didn't really know what to expect from this. This is World's Fair, eighteen ninety three. Now, J. Alex Kevern designed this game, who also did Gold West, right? which is one of our favorite. <laughs> I'm underrated learning. games. Aren't you proud? I'm learning. Yes. I'm paying attention. World's Fair um, is I a... I had to lose a valuable piece of knowledge to, to keep to that keep one. That okay. one. <laughs> World's Fair is a... It's 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 an area control game combined with some set collection where you have this um you have this Ferris wheel board around that are different um, colored areas that, you know, there's like engineering and manufacturing and something, you know, whatever. It doesn't... There, there's so four, there's five zone, colors. Whatever. There's yes. five colors. And there's cards that get dealt to each of these areas. So on your turn, you're, you each have these these group of follower cubes. You're going to place one of your follower cubes onto the area, and you get all the cards that are in that area's pool, basically. And then you're going to deal out new cards to that area, but also to the two areas that are adjacent or clockwise adjacent to it as well. So the different cards that you're getting correspond to the different colors as well. And what you're trying to do is collect sets of these tokens because there's going to be three scoring rounds each game. And whoever dominates control of each of the colored areas not only gets some victory points, but they also get to cash in the a couple cards that match the color of the area and get some tokens instead. And it's one of those things where you're trying to collect sets of unique tokens because if you can get a set of all five tokens, it's, it's going to be worth points. 15 points at the end of the game. Whereas if you only get like a set of two, 
it's only worth three points. They get as exponentially bigger mm-hmm. um, the more token, the more unique tokens that you have. You also have these midway tickets that you can acquire, um, which are worth a point each for each scoring. Plus, and that's they're also what, advanced, what advances the the round, right? The time track along, and you also have, um, I guess, luminaries or inventors that you can uh, that you can acquire as well, which give you special abilities, usually that involve the placement of extra followers that you have to use on your next turn. Yep. As you go, um, like I said, once you've done three scoring rounds, you look to see who has the most victory points, and that person is the winner. Um, and th- that person was me. That person was you. <laughs> Not by much, though, was it? No. Okay, it was close. I wasn't expecting much Not from this game. Not quite as close as our roll game last night. Yeah. I wasn't expecting too much from this game. Um, it comes in a small box. It's It looks very unassuming. But there was quite a bit of strategy mm-hmm. that you can employ in this one because you really do when you place those followers every turn you have to balance all right i really need to get control of this area but i really want these cards that are in this well, other that's area the thing, like <laughs> my biggest thing i was like i wasn't really paying attention to the set collection aspect of it at first mm-hmm. and then i was like oh crap i have all this i was like i don't have any of these two colors i was like i need to jump on it which right. luckily for me you had been going hard at them all game so i knew you were going to back off so it kind of made it a little easier for me to get in there yeah, and it's and it we you know we've talked about area control games with two players how sometimes they they kind of miss the mark because you don't have that third person to offer competition. This one was good though because this one gives you so many other ways to try and move people. Like you can move people if you say, oh, you know what, I'm pretty good. We're getting down to the last turn of this. I can see that you know I'm going to have control of this, but I have this card and I can move my worker over here to kind of mm-hmm. screw you over out of some points or whatever. Right, but at the same you know? time, if you do it too early, then your opponent exactly, can theoretically catch exactly. back up again. Right. And, and uh, yeah, just balancing acquiring the specific colored cards really, versus controlling really the areas. It's really smartly done. Yeah, it was it was much... It had a lot more teeth than than I expected yeah. it to have. Um, yeah, we hardly recommend Worlds for yes. 1893. It's a Absolutely. great game. And, and, and for us, it falls in like kind of the power filler area because you could easily play this game within under 45 minutes mm-hmm. with two players. It'd be no problem. Absolutely. Especially once you know what you're going because really the turns are like bam, bam. Like like it wasn't like, not a lot of I downtime. I really feel like we can get this down to 30 minutes. We probably could because it's one of those things that you don't have to mull over. Once you get toward the end of the round, you might ponder your moves a little bit more because you, you, know, you know it's coming down in the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. And it's also in this game anticipating what your opponent's going to do as well because that's what I found out starting to do late you know when a lot of the midway tickets were out on the board and I was like all right what's I'm going to do like what's she probably going to do here so I might only have a turn or two left so I got this yeah World World's Fair 1893 a much more much more uh meaty game than than the box would have you assume mm-hmm. that is we really liked it quite a bit and I'm glad we do because while I was punching it our son grabbed the Ferris wheel board and accidentally bent it over his head so I was kind of <laughs> hoping that we wouldn't have to trade this because that might be more difficult to do uh, but I don't think this one's going anywhere anytime soon it was uh, it was a pretty solid ad yeah. to our collection so that was a very extended look at impressions yeah. uh, because like I said we played much well, quite a bit if you guys could see our unplayed games list <laughs> you'd be like Jesus Christ you know because yeah. like we have a lot of stuff so the last couple days he's like what do you want to play I'm like what's on the list that you've read the rules we can get through yep let's so do it we did quite a few so we're <laughs> going to take a quick break and we'll have a much happier topic because we're going to talk about the games we're most looking forward to that are coming out in 2017 <laughs> So 2017, well, I should say 2016, rather, was a pretty pretty good year for us as far as gaming went. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we did our best of episode a couple episodes ago, and a lot of good games that uh, I can see us getting a lot of play. And so we're looking ahead now to 2017 um, and seeing what we're most looking forward to. We're not doing this in any specific order, just kind of having a, you know, free flow conversation about it, not doing like a top five or anything, um, but we'll just see what... Well, the I games think, are that we're most looking I, forward to. I, I have six games on mine. Well, five games in an expansion on mine, I should say. Um, well, I guess technically I have three games and three expansions. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll what we will do is I'll save the one I'm looking forward to the most for last, and you can do you can do likewise. Okay. And hopefully one of us won't run into the other one. When we do that, so um, 
let me start it off. Um, I don't I'll, think that the one I'm most looking forward to is going to be on your list oh, at all. Oh, okay. So. We'll see. <laughs> well, let me start off with two. I'm going to cheat and go with two that are because they're kind of in the same camp in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, they're both from GMT that are coming out. One of them's definitely coming out this year. The other one may or may not make this year. We'll have to see. Uh, the first one's a reprint, um, 1960, The Making of the President, mm-hmm. which is a game that I've long been curious about and then even more curious about after we played Twilight Struggle for the first time, this is and the I one. Loved it. Yeah, this is the this is the two player game that simulates the 1960 uh, presidential election between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. Um, yeah, this is a game that has long been clamored over by a lot of people. I've heard it's awesome. I really can't wait to see what all the hubbub is about when it finally gets out here. Mm-hmm. And the second one, um, and I say it's similar because it's made by the same, at least half of the same design team, but this is Imperial Struggle, the pseudo-sequel to Twilight Struggle, done by Jason Matthews and Anad Gupta, which is coming out um, hopefully at the end of the year, which is Twilight Struggle, but during the second Hundred Years' War, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, they eat, and they are trying to streamline that game and simplify it even further than Twilight Struggle already is. So, okay. so a shorter, like hopefully, like a shorter time span, like sixty to ninety minutes, instead of like two and a half to three hours. Okay, sort of game as well. So, what do you think about those two choices? Well, I know we've talked about nineteen sixty before. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also interested to see that one, um, just because I've I've highly enjoyed you know some of these games because like i said i'm not big on like history or anything like that Mm -hmm. so if i can have fun and learn a little something that's pretty good yep i like it very cool the other one i have no clue because you've never spoken (laughs) one word to it about me well they just announced it a few months ago and just hearing that it was those two guys making it like it's almost like an automatic about it to me yeah i can't speak tonight i'm sorry well why don't you speak on one of the games that you were most looking forward to Catacombs and Castles. Oh, yeah. We backed this a long while back. That's not on my list, even though I should. it probably should be. You, well, you know why? Because I'm not actually looking forward to Catacombs and Castles. I'm looking forward just to getting more stuff for, more cat- stuff for Catacombs. Well, yeah. that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, ever, ever being me, I have my little book here in front of me with my little blurbs. But that's basically what it was. I was just... Looking forward to being able to expand our play in catacombs. Right. Though this one does come with a new board. Well, it's a new it's a new style of game too. It's more of like a skirmish game than than catacombs is. Whereas catacombs is more of a dungeon crawly, you know, RPG of sorts. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it because good stuff. Yeah. Should be here in a couple months, hopefully. And Fingers I'm excited because we'll have our new table. Yeah, by we'll then. have our flicking table to, to so be playing excited. on. That's gonna be that's gonna be great. We should have it this week, guys. We Fingers will crossed. let you know. We will. We will. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that's all like I said. I'm not on my list. I guess that's a little bit of a surprise. Um, well, since you have so many expansions, let's talk about expansions. Why don't you throw some expansions out at me? Um. Well, this one is. Not really. Well, it's an expansion, but not. Mm-hmm. So you should probably know which one it is. Do I? Arcadia Quest Inferno. Oh, okay. Because it's a standalone, but you can yeah. use it with it. And yeah, I thought about putting that on there as well, but I, I guess I'm not. I'm. I'm like. I'm happy. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not as excited to play it because I already kind of know what I'm going to get out of it. You know what I mean? It's not going to be too much different than. I just really love Arcadia Quest. Yeah, so do I. I just I can't help it. Would you would you say it's our favorite like co-op or not even co-op, but our favorite like dungeon our, crawl? Yeah, because we punch each other in the face in that one. Yeah. It's good times. I love it. Um so yeah, that that should be pretty cool. I'm just looking also forward to all the stuff that we're gonna get when that comes in well, as well. Well, and I was looking because it's been a while since I really kind of looked at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's got some other new things in it, you know, like where we were playing the Beyond the Grave and they have the tombstone cards. Mm-hmm. This one has, you can basically corrupt yourself to get better stuff. Mm-hmm. And the then, damnation cards, whatever yeah, it's damnation called. cards, and then there's angels, which can assist you mm-hmm. to, you know. But they can also turn evil if you don't, uh, if you ignore them, Yeah, basically. So, so that's... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, you know, with Arcadia Quest, I'm looking most forward to, I think, the dragons that they have yeah. in the game. They have these... Which ones did we get? We the got the frost, frost dragon? The flame, I think, possibly. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know, but I they look pretty cool. Are you sure you're not thinking about Valerian Card Kingdom? No, I'm definitely thinking of this because um, it's uh, well, the, and the dragons are cool because they're like these one-off scenarios with these super powerful 
dragon monsters, which should be wait. really neat. Yeah, it so should excited. be a lot of fun. Um, I only have one expansion on my list, mm-hmm. and this is the expansion that's coming out for Automobiles, which is called Racing Season. Um, Automobiles is one of those games that, again, I think kind of flies under the radar, but it's a really cool bag building racing game. I really like that game, game a lot. And actually, we taught it to one of our friends who's not really as into gaming as we are, mm-hmm. and he loved it too. Well, but because it, it's so, there's nothing like it. Like, like it's, 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 it's Orleans compared, it's, com, you know, with, with Formula D, basically. It's <laughs> simple enough that you can teach it to anyone, mm-hmm. but it's complex enough to keep, like, people like us, yeah. you know, hey, you know, let's, let's play this, let's see what we can do this time. And like I said, this will come with new tracks, um, new cards, that's, that's all I need. Like, that's all I want out of this expansion, and that's, and that's, uh, that's gonna be great, so I'm looking very forward to that as well. Well, speaking of Valeria Card Kingdoms, that was one of the other uh, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just talking well, about this the other that's night your because I'm so excited. I love that game. I don't know what it is about that game, but I just love it so much. You like it more than I do. I, I like it. I'm not as in love with it as you are. But I am looking forward to the expansion because I think anything you can do to add more variety in that game is definitely well, a plus. And you're getting more domains, more citizens. You get two new monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, well, and and like I said, games like that, I need I need the diversion strategy. Like I need right. the extra I need the extra cards and the different options as far as that goes. So yeah, I I I will be happy to get that as well. Um, just because I think it'll make that game way better. What was the other expansion that was on your on your list? Arkham Horror. Oh yeah. Oh, you mean all of the Arkham Horror expansions that are so, going to come out? So <laughs> yeah. So we finally, after the ninth try, found an LCG that works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that, and I love it. And I'm so excited that we played it what two or three times now. Mm-hmm. And every single time, I'm just like, oh, this is great. He said, oh hey, look, there's a subscription service. So every time a pack comes out, we can have this, and it automatically takes money out and ships it right to us. I was like, yes, let's do that. Yep. So yeah, like, so, I like it that much that I was like, yes. Yeah. So there should be twelve of those that are going to be happening this I'm year. So, so so we will be building up our Arkham Horror card pool as well. Um, another game that was on my list. This should be as no surprise to anyone who listens to the show. Lisboa, which is going to be the new game from Vitalis Cerda, which we backed on Kickstarter. Um, we talked about it. A little bit ago, a couple episodes ago in depth or in slight depth, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but he's quickly climbed the ranks as one of our favorite uh, favorite designers, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking very forward, and, and I'm also looking forward to getting another deluxe box from Eagle Griffin that's really overproduced and probably doesn't need to be as glorious as it is for, for this Euro game that's coming out soon. So Lisboa should be pretty cool. Um. I actually have season two of Pandemic Legacy on here. Oh, that's I didn't even think about that. Why didn't I remember that that was coming out? I don't know. I'm looking like forward said, to that as well. I really, really enjoyed the first one, and yeah, like I like I said, you we'd never really played the Legacy style game. I really that I think that's what really got me. Like I enjoyed the decision making that we had to do, saying. Okay, we're going to change this to this and do mm. this. And yeah, it was good stuff. Well, it's funny that you mentioned legacy style games because oh, the other two games on my list are both legacy style games. Oh, Lord. So the first one is Charterstone. Um, this is the new, How is that? the new Jamie Stegmeyer game that should hopefully be out by the end of this year. Okay. Where you are building over the course of many games a village. And you're putting out different buildings onto this board. It's a, it's a worker placement game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because it can play from one to six players. And then when it's all said and done, you'll have this unique Euro game that your copy is different from any other copy that you can just continue to play as a regular game after that. So which which you cannot do in Pandemic, which is, I think, the, one of the big knocks. I don't want to say it's a knock on Pandemic because, again, we played Pandemic 20 times. And I think that's a pretty good rate of return for mm-hmm. any game mm-hmm. um but just just being able to revisit 20 out of 24 yeah. i mean come on but being able to revisit charterstone after we're done unlocking stuff in it i think is a really neat part of the, the legacy series that kind of i mean risk legacy did it but we don't have risk legacy so we don't really have a game we all know my feelings on risk if you've yeah. got to be listening <laughs> so yeah charterstone i'm very much looking forward to and i really hope that it's good and i really hope that it's not so good that I'm gonna to want to buy a second copy just to play solo. If you can, if you can do a solo version of that as well. 
You kill me. <laughs> I want a new wardrobe for our bedroom, and you want to buy two copies of a game. I want to buy one copy of the game and then possibly a second one uh-huh. down the road. Uh-huh. Well, what else is on your list? Because I got one more left. I'm going to save that for, for the end. Well, that have we gone through my list? We've gone through my list. Oh, I your whole my, thing? I, no, I have one. My most looked forward to game. We'll do it. Starving Artists. Really? Yes. Okay. That was mine, remember? Okay, yeah, yeah. You made me make this. You said, if you want it, you back it on Kickstarter. And I did, because I really thought it looked clever. Mm-hmm. You're just an artist. You, uh, Your only resource in this game is paint. Mm-hmm. So you either put it on your paintings to finish them so you can sell them, or you have to work for it and then trade it for food. Yeah. Well, I, the thing I like about that one is the... Like the food mechanic, yeah. where, you, where you have to, where you have to not starve, yeah. As you go through the game, giving feed your people a whole new, whole new meaning. Yeah, I'm surprised that's your number one. Okay, I'm really looking forward to it. It's different than anything we have. You know what I mean? Okay, not gonna knock you. And like I so. said, it was my pick because mm-hmm. you said, you know, if you want it, just like. Just like Santorini. Santorini was my pick because you're just well, like, worked do, out you, pretty well, do you so. want this? Do you not want this? I'm like, I want this. You were on the fence. Aren't you glad that I made you get it? I am. So hopefully <laughs> hopefully this one will turn out that I way as well. I hope so. I really, really hope so because I really want this to be a good game. So my number one is a much more ambitious game from for, for us. Oh, Lord. And that is Gloomhaven. Uh, which is... I've been hearing him mention this game for about three weeks now. Well, Gloom, Gloomhaven is a... I know nothing about it. Well, it is a legacy-style um, cooperative like dungeon crawl game, mm-hmm. which is basically, imagine Descent, but not as fiddly, and it doesn't really have an end. It, 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 I, I'm so it fascinated by no it because... End. Well, no, it does have an end, but it's got a lot more... You can go a lot further than you can Descent. I'm fascinated by this because, to me, it really kind of looks like Diablo... The board game in a lot of ways, and that's where he sells me on it. Yeah, I mean, because so well here. Let me let me let me sell you on the premise. So, oh God! So you go on these different quests. Um, as you complete the quests, which scale based on how many players it is, by the way. Oh, sorry. When you when you start the game, you you each pick a unique character that has a class that has unique abilities that are associated with it. So I get my button mashing character. Yeah. So okay. you go on quests. When you complete quests, it unlocks other areas in the on the world map that you can travel to. But do I get to upgrade my dude? Oh yes, you do. You get to level up. You get to, you can gain experience that you can, can I carry gain with armor you. Armor and weapons. You'll, you and you stuff? get new items. You get all that stuff. And here's the cool part. Oh, here's the craziest beasting. part. No, but you're not even. I'm not even there yet. So oh, obviously, God. like as you as you unlock different areas, certain er, certain other areas, certain quests will be closed off to you based on decisions that you make during the campaign. So you can't just do everything. Here's the here's the most fascinating part though is oh, that Lord. when your each character when you when you start them has a personal goal that they're trying to achieve, and once they get that personal goal, they walk, they they leave. They're like, I did what I set out to do. I'm leaving, and you get to get another character that you can start with and and roll out. And as you go through the game, you're also you'll also unlock new classes of characters. I think there's 18 classes. So in total. you have to start from scratch with somebody. Well, not from scratch because as you complete quests, you make the town of Gloomhaven more prosperous and you raise the level of the city. And as the city levels up, that basically shows the starting level for your character when you roll out a new character. Also what's cool about it is that the game balances itself based on your character levels. So like if you roll in with a high level character and a low level character, then the game will kind of balance itself in the so middle. It really is Diablo the yeah, board game. It's really neat. Cause we played like that until I leveled up enough for you. Yeah. And, and there's like global effects that can affect the game world based on things that you do. And you can actually roll multiple parties in the same universe. Like you can actually have one party and then you can have a create a different party with different characters that go on different adventures, but will can still affect the world in a unique way. I didn't mean to talk for this long about it, but I wanted to get you as excited about this game as I am because it looks really neat. You know what I'm excited about? What's that? Kicking the crap out of the Reaper of Souls. In Diablo, that's yeah, fair. We, we need to finish that. But this like But now you want me to play Diablo the board game, so I'm down. Well, I mean Gloomhaven, it's it's just it's just such a cool concept for a game. I really hope that it that it executes it well. 
And it's just really neat, and I'm looking forward to playing it. And I know that we say all the time that campaign-driven games tend to be the death of us, but I think because these... No, sna- LCGs tend to be the death of us. Well, campaign <laughs> games also have a rough go of it as well. But I think the fact that the missions for this one tend to... We I have think, commitment issues. Yeah, I think the missions seem like they're a little bit more streamlined in this one. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll be encouraged to get it out to the table a little bit more. So that's... That is the that is the our list of what we're most anticipated looking forward to. Um, let us know what you guys are looking forward to. Is there any games that should be on our radar? Any games that uh, you didn't hear us mention, or are you particularly excited about any of our picks as well? Let us know online, and uh, and that's gonna be it for this episode. So again, um, just a quick reminder that we are an affiliate of the TNP Studios Network of Shows. Make sure to check out all the other great shows on the network, including Dense Pixels, The Nerd Apocalypse, Black on Black Cinema, and Mouthful of Toast. And if you uh, if you like the content that we're giving you, consider swinging by the nerdpocalypse.com slash premium and dropping five bucks on a premium subscription. It's just five bucks a month, and that gets you access to over 200 hours of exclusive premium content as well. Um, so definitely check that out too. Make sure you follow us on lo- online at Tabletop for Two. And I think that's going to be it for us for this episode. So thank you guys once again very much for tuning in, and we will catch you guys later on. Bye.